passage for today, which is found in Lamentations 5, uh, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip ahead to verses 21 through 22. So Lamentations 5, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 21 through 22. Again, this is in your bulletin. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord. It says this, Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. Restore, to your, or restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, in more contemporary modern times, we have a strange relationship to miracles. Right? Of course, there's some who think uh, about miracles and they say, oh, that's just nonsense. Uh, it's superstition. There's no such thing as miracles. Uh, every strange occurrence that happens in life has some kind of scientific explanation. Uh, and then, of course, there are others, on the other hand, who see uh, miracles everywhere. Uh, every time the train shows up, as soon as you step onto the flat platform, you're thinking, ah, it's a miracle. And now while there's a lot of debate um, out there about what constitutes a miracle, uh, there's one thing that I think most people would not deny as being a miracle, whether uh, someone who's uh, hypersensitive to miracles or tends to reject them. If this happens, I think most people would acknowledge it's a miracle. And that would be someone going from death to life. Now, of course, the Christian faith is fundamentally built on uh, someone who did go from death to life. Uh, This is a story that we are actually going to start looking at next week uh, as we lead up to Easter. Um, But as a result of that miracle, do you know that if you are a Christian, according to the Bible, you too are a walking miracle? Ephesians 2 tells us that God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So if you are a Christian, you have been made alive with Christ, for you have gone from death to life. You are a walking miracle. But I wonder, do we often think about our relationship with God in Jesus in that way? Because I would venture to guess that often we do not see our faith in those kinds of terms. And that is why last week, and again this week, we're going to consider the concept of revival. Now, last week we mentioned, uh, I noted a statement that J.I. Packer made. Let me reread that to you because it helps frame a little bit of what we're talking about. He said that revival is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's presence and holiness, which come from a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of heart in repentance, praise, and love. In this final poem, in Lamentations 5, gives us further insight into the concept and experience of of revival. 
Now, last week, we noted how the shift of the book is looking now toward renewal, toward restoration, toward revival. And we said this kind of revival often takes place first through self-examination, where we turn back to God in the areas of life where we've wandered from him. Now, to give a little bit of reminder and context, Judah, of course, is in a season of life in which their wanderings have been made abundantly clear. Right? The whole book is this crying out in lament over their wanderings uh, and their wrongdoings, but also, of course, the wrongdoings that had been done against them. They're currently suffering after a brutal siege upon their great city by the Babylonians. But then look at verses 1 through 3 of our passage. The poet comes before God in a true posture of lament, which is to come before God. And he says this. He says, Lord, remember what happened to us. And then he goes on through the rest of the chapter to name all of the horrible tragedies that have befallen them. And there's some terrible things that he names there. But then at the very end of the chapter, in the final verses, after lamenting uh, their condition, the poet in verse 21, verse 21 says this. He says, restore us to yourself. Restore us to yourself. Now hear me, my friends, in a real sense, when a real sense of sin has become aware, we become aware of that real sinfulness that's within us, when we spend the time to deeply and rightly self-examine, when we turn away from our sin, and there's this recollection of the miracle of salvation and grace all of which there's this with this reliance that God will restore us to himself. I want you to know that all of this together is revival. Lamentations, strangely, the book of Lamentations is strangely a fertilizer in the soil that sprouts a coming revival in the people of Israel and Judah. And interestingly, this is where Many revivals over the course of church history have also started in suffering, in disorientation. There's this renewed sense of needing God and the truths of his word. Revival. Now, let me say that I do not think that the, uh, the ideas of revival could be more applicable to us than they are right now, especially given the context of lamentations. I've said this over and over again. It is not lost on me, and I think it is God's providential grace to us that we are currently in the midst of an incredibly disorienting season, a very fear-filled, strange time, and it was during this season that we're going through the book of Lamentations. And what I hope that we see today is not only that there may be opportunities for us to experience personal personal revival through these difficult and uh, strange times, but also that we become more aware of the fact that this revival not only is might be birthing in us, but might be birthing uh, much more broadly beyond us and even beyond our church, because moments like we are like we are currently in now 
they'd so often become the genesis of new life. And while it might not seem like it, we cannot deny that God is at work right now and will continue to be working in ways that we have not seen, I think, in a very long time. And if we are conscious of that fact, we will not only be on the verge of revival in our own lives, but we will also see revival in the lives of others as well. And so I do wonder, do you want to see revival? Do you want to see the miracle of people being made alive? If so, though we are in a difficult situation, I want us to consider what God might be doing in the midst of this season. Uh, D.A. Carson, who's a well-known theologian and uh, scholar, uh, has done some study on the history of revivals. And in his book, uh, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, he says this about revivals. And I noted this, uh, this quote is in your bulletin, uh, so please feel free to pull that up and, and read through this. We're going to spend some time looking at this quote, but this is what he says. He says, it does not take much reading in the history of revivals to discover that when true revivals dawns, resentments are dissolved. When revival comes, self-promotion is seen to be ugly and withers away. When revival comes, men and women are concerned to be holy. They are serious about integrity. They embrace genuine self-denial and learn to love. When revival comes, our worrying sense of unreality disappears, and heaven seems more real and certainly more important than this transient world order. When revival comes, worship is no longer an exercise, but one of the chief characteristics of our lives. Out of this fresh experience of the grace of God, powerfully working in our lives, evangelism becomes not only a passion, but immeasurably more fruitful. It's a lot to unpack there. Uh, And though for the next few minutes, we're going to be doing something a little bit different than we normally do. I actually want to spend some time looking at that quote and dissecting it a little bit. There's so much to unpack there, but there's a few things in particular that I want to pull out so that it's in front of us to see what is happening when revivals take place. When you look across church history, what is it that's been happening in the past that maybe might be happening right now? The first thing that I want to draw out that he says is toward the end of the uh, end of the quote, but he says that revival comes when the quote grace of God is powerfully working in our lives. I think it's worth starting here just to say that we cannot control revival. It is not ours to attain or to curate. Revival is solely an act of God's spirit doing a powerful and mighty work. Him doing the miracle of bringing life where there is death and restoration where there is brokenness. However, though we cannot plan it or control it or establish it, we can certainly recognize when God is at work. And when the church and and when the church has this unique opportunity to be ambassadors of hope and truth. And while we obviously cannot predict or determine the ways that God is and will continue to work. For the Christian, 
this ought to be our prayer. That every day, God, we need your grace working among us. God, I need your grace powerfully at work in my life. I need your grace powerfully at work in my family and in my neighborhood and in my workplace and in my relationships and in my city. And tragedy and suffering, time and time again, really do have a way of causing us to be far more aware of our need for God's grace in our lives. And we certainly lament the suffering and the fear and the strife of our current season of life right now. But for those with sight to see and those with ears to hear, God's grace is abounding right now. There is grace at work that I trust is going to do that which Packer noted, where people who are asleep become awakened and that there's this restored sense of God's nearness and his presence and his holiness. And that awakening, that restored sense of God's grace powerfully working among us, that is what revival looks like. That is the beginnings of revival. God at work. His grace on display. Then Carson also, in that quote, notes some of the actual tangible things that we can see happening when revival is starting to take place. Let me note uh, several of those for us. One thing that he says is that revival comes when, quote, men and women are concerned to be holy. They are serious about integrity. You know, when God's grace is experienced... It changes the way that we see ourselves and the ways that we live our lives. You know, we are no longer comfortable with compromises and lies and sinful attitudes and behaviors. Instead, there is this irresistible pull toward integrity. Uh, in the early 20th century, there was a, a massive revival that took place in Korea. Uh, it was a revival that transformed the entire country, uh, of course, what is now North and South, but it continues to have massive reverberations, uh, especially in South Korea. Uh, and in, the, in their book, The Korean Pentecost, uh, two Presbyterian missionaries recount their experiences during that time, uh, during the revival. When the revival broke out, uh, they noted several things that had taken place. But one of the things that had taken place during the revival is that there was this deep repentance and this turning away from wrongdoing. And instead, there was this deep desire to live with integrity. It was one of the staple things that happened amongst the people during this revival. And they noted this in their book. So that we had our hearts torn again and again during those days by the return of little articles and money that had been stolen from us during the years. Although the city, all through the city, men were going from house to house, confessing to individuals they had injured, returning stolen property and money, not to Christians, but to heathens as well, till the whole city was stirred. A Chinese merchant was astonished to have a Christian walk in and pay him a large sum of money that he had attained unjustly years before. He goes on to say that one of my churches was very weak and in a discouraged condition. The hour this church wept its sins out before God was an hour of new birth and power. And today, 
and is one of my strongest churches. It's interesting to me that during this revival, there was this turning from wrongdoing, and there was a desire to live justly and with integrity, that being a sign that revival was taking place. Now, for me right now, it's very interesting as I look at the landscape of all that is happening, there really is this renewed desire that people have to be to be treating others fairly and equally and justly. There's this renewed sense of justice that's happening right now. I mean, I've seen that there have been calls for people to not hoard resources, but to share needed resources. I've seen calls to make sure that children and the elderly have all that they need. I see calls that businesses and even the government uh, ensuring that people who are most vulnerable among us have all that they need in order to be cared for well. I mean, I know that there are pockets where tragedy and suffering does bring out the worst in people, but I have also seen more people than usual wanting to ensure that there's equity and justice amongst people. I have seen many people with this renewed sense of integrity. And I find it interesting that revival is happening often when integrity is prized. Uh, Another thing that Carson notes is he says that revival comes when, quote, they embrace genuine self-denial and learn to love. Uh, As you know, we are, of course, in the midst of a season where our ability to embrace genuine self-denial and to learn to love will really be on complete and full display. Uh, One of the most striking consequences of times like these is the genuine sense of care that people have for their neighbors and for their co-workers and for their friends and their families that maybe didn't exist outside of the tragedy that they might be experiencing. Uh, For those that were here in New York after 9-11, you experienced that to be the case. Uh, For those of us that were here after Hurricane Sandy, uh, we experienced that to be the case. Those those were tragic times. I mean, they were awful, gut-wrenching, disorienting times. However, the consequence of those times were people coming together in genuine self-denial and love for one another and care for one another. And right now, much like the times in the past, we are again confronted with this opportunity to care for and to love one another that way. There is something powerful about that kind of care in the midst of hardship. And the church, more than most other times, has the opportunity to make known the great self-denial and love of Christ by caring for others in a way that honors our Savior. It's interesting, right now there's a lot of articles that are being written uh, comparing Christians today uh, to how Christians have responded in the past to uh, different types of outbreaks that have taken place, epidemics that have taken place over the course of church history, of course, comparing it to what we're experiencing now with the outbreak of COVID-19. 
And there are many documented cases uh, over the course of church history where Christians remained in cities caring for the sick, even at the risk of their own health. Uh, and one writer, when reflecting on the various times that that's happened over the course of history, he notes that there were two impacts of that kind of care. Uh, the first one that he noted was that there was Christian sacrifice for fellow believers, and that this this uh, this stunned the unbelieving world as they witnessed the communal love that uh, took place within the church. Of course, that's uh, John 13 in full display, Jesus speaking of how they will uh, know that we are his by the love that we have for one another. Uh, but the other thing that happened was that Christian sacrifice for non-Christians resulted in the early church experiencing exponential growth as non-Christian survivors who benefited from the care of their Christian neighbors converted to the faith in mass. And what I find striking about that is that we are currently in a season when the church is having to learn how to love people in radical new ways. And though I hate that we are in such a terrible season, I am encouraged, broadly speaking, with the way that the church is engaging. Why? Because revival is happening when radical self-denial and love are present, especially amongst Christians. Another thing that Carson notes is that revival comes when, quote, our worrying sense of unreality disappears. And heaven seems more real and certainly more important than the transient world order. You know, revivals cause people's eyes to no longer see the treasures of this world as being nearly as valuable. That the things that we once held to be so important, it's times like these that make us realize maybe those things that we thought were so important really aren't as important as we once thought. Once thought. And though these times are hard, they do force us to reconsider what is truly important in life. In what felt like an instant, for many, everything about life has been completely upended right now. And many in this time are really wrestling with the hard questions about what life is really all about, what really matters in life especially when much of what we tend to think matters most can be so easily and quickly taken away from us. You know, the world is transient. It passes away, which begs the question, what is life for? What is all of this about? And it's in seasons like this where people are really wrestling with those kinds of questions. You know, historically, there is a sensitivity and a receptivity uh, to God in the midst of suffering. It's always been this way. Uh, and some of you listening right now might very well be experiencing that, right? This frantic and hard season is making you consider things more deeply, forcing you to see past the temporal and that which can be taken away and instead having to look toward something of greater purpose, See, revival is happening when we take our eyes off the temporal and start looking toward the eternal. Another thing that Carson notes, he says that revival comes when worship is no longer an exercise, but one of the chief characteristics of our lives. Now, I cannot help but see the irony 
of this current situation that we're in. Uh, if worship for you was going to church once a week, uh, that is really getting challenged for you right now. Because, of course, we can't be together to attend church. Of course, we're blessed to have this, and we're grateful for this kind of medium to worship together. However, worship can no longer be a routine of just going to church because it's just not possible to do right now. Instead, for the Christian, you're being challenged in this time to reconsider worship. That worship is not just about going to church, but rather it's about your whole life being of service to the Lord. Revival is happening when our whole lives are worship before God. The last thing that I want to note in Carson's statement is he says this. He says that revival has come when evangelism becomes not only a passion, but immeasurably more fruitful. And here's the point for me. This has been the reason why I'm going through all of this related to revival. I cannot help but see many of the characteristics of revival in our current situation and in our current season of life. And I don't know what all that means. I really don't. But I know God's grace is powerfully working right now. I know that right now integrity more and more is being prized. I know that genuine self-denial and love is taking place. I know that many's heart's affections are being shifted off temporal things into the eternal. I know that worship is forcing the church out into our everyday lives to have this posture of worship before God. I know that these things are happening right now. And if it is the case, that maybe, just maybe, we are in the midst of some kind of revival. That, in the end, means that evangelism will be far more fruitful and people are going to come to faith as a result of this season that we are in. Now, I don't know what God uh, is doing. I don't know what he is going to do. And I don't know if we're actually in the midst of some kind of revival. I don't know. But what I do know is that we can rightly pray to that end. I do know that praying that the sleepy would be awakened and that people that would have a renewed sense of God's presence in their life, I know that praying for those things is good and right and true. And if all that we are going through right now and all that we are experiencing is fertilizer that will nourish the, uh, the soil of revival, then praise God that we get to be a part of it. And if not, and everything that I'm describing is just a mere coincidence, so be it. May God's church still live consistent with such characteristics of revival. But in the end, may verse 21 be our heart's cry. It says, restore to us, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return to you. Restore us to yourself. That's a bold prayer. That's a big prayer. That is a revival prayer. God, send us revival. Restore us. And the last thing that I want to note is how can we have confidence to pray that kind of big prayer? How can we have confidence to pray a prayer of revival? 
Well, I think we get a clue in verse 22. And actually, let me start in verse 21 into 22. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Now, verse 22 is a really interesting way to end the book of Lamentations. I mean, it's pretty fitting. But it's an interesting thing to consider when we're talking about revival with renewal, with restoration. I mean, how can we be confident to pray, God, restore us to yourself, bring revival? Well, though this last, this last verse of Lamentation might not seem hopeful, it actually is filled with hope because we know that though this is the last verse of Lamentations, it is certainly not the last word. Because the story does not end with God forsaking his people or being angry with them beyond measure. The story is that God continues to pursue his people. Those who are sleepy, those who had lost their sense, his, the uh, sense of his presence among them. God gives us his presence through the work of his son, through the sending of his spirit. And this is why we know that we can come confidently with prayers of revival and restoration. Because for us, Jesus Christ is our confidence. Jesus is the reason we have hope. He is the reason we can pray for revival, because in the end, he is the one, by the work of his Spirit, who makes it possible. I mean, on the cross, Jesus Christ experienced what it meant to be forsaken, and he did it for us. On the cross, he took upon himself the righteous anger of God so that Judah and also you and I can be confident when we pray, restore us to yourself, Lord. We can now be confident in our prayers for revival. And so with that confidence, would you join me in praying for that kind of restoration in the places where we need it? Pray that those who have wandered might again return. Pray that in this current challenging season of life, we might be reminded that we have not been forsaken. And that again, we might be able to return to the, the verses that I feel, the verse that I feel like is just going to be the refrain of Redeemer East Harlem for a while in Lamentations 3. To be able to confidently say that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, for great is his faithfulness. Revival is happening when we trust such promises are true. And I pray that not only we would experience revival in our own personal lives, but we would trust that maybe, just maybe, we're in the midst of a much bigger revival where people are going to come to a knowledge of the Savior, Jesus Christ, that they might experience life, that they would go from death to life. Maybe, just maybe, we are in the midst of a possible revival that starts in us and that would certainly spread far beyond us. That is my prayer, that you experience personal revival, but then you get to see revival happening in your neighborhood, in our city, in your family, in our workplaces, amongst your friends. Would you pray to that end as well? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who 
brings us from death to life. We thank you that you are a God who pursues us, that though we at times wander from you, you pursue us and you restore us to yourself. You bring revival. And so, God, we pray that you would bring it. We pray that you would bring it in our lives personally. We pray that you would bring it in the lives of those that we care most about. We pray that you would bring it to our city, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces. That, God, as a result of this really hard, tragic season that's so disorienting, so often fear-filled, that we would see revival birth out of it, where people come to a saving knowledge of your son, that they go from death to life. And would you give us the privilege and the honor of getting to witness that miracle take place? We ask all of this in Jesus' name.